Good morning again. I invite you to take your Bibles and open to the book of Jude. The book of Jude, if you're using a pew Bible, it is on page 1027, 1027 in our series here in the book of Jude, just four weeks this week and then next week we will conclude uh, the book of Jude with this great doxology at the end, verses 24 uh, and 25. But this week we're looking at verses 17 to 23, verses 17 to 23 in the book of Jude. So if you find your way there, we'll pray, and we'll read our passage this morning. Father, thank you that Christ is ours forevermore. Through faith in him, Lord, he is our inheritance. He is the hope we've prayed. Lord, he is all that we need. Lord, I pray that as we live this life, we would understand that Christ is enough. Lord, that in Christ we have all these blessings, our union with him, that we are found in Christ. Lord, help us to be satisfied and settled in that. I gotta confess, I too often look for comfort and security and hope in something else other than Jesus. But Jesus is enough. Lord, help us to to understand this and help us as we come to your word now to grasp its meaning, to understand Jude's context and, and the warnings for us as we seek to live our lives holding to the truth of the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. We pray in your son's name, amen. Jude 17 through 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ they said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. As we've worked our way through Jude, uh, it all begins with verse four, or verses three and four, where Jude writes, and he says, I, I want to write to you about our common salvation, the good news of Jesus Christ. He says that in, in verse three, he says, but I found it necessary to write to you to contend for the faith. This word contend, as I've mentioned, means to agonize, to, uh, to give yourself diligently to it. It's a, it's a physical warfare type word. To struggle for, to agonize on behalf of, to contend for the faith. And the beginning of Jude, Jude reminds his readers who he is and who they are. They are Saints, they are servants, slaves of Jesus Christ, and, and they, are, they are called to defend the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, because certain people have crept in. They're to, to know what's at stake. And then verses 5 through 16, Jude recounts for his readers through using various Old Testament uh, accounts and passages and extra-biblical writings, who the enemy is, to know your enemy. In the, in the middle of a battle, you need to know your enemy, their strengths and weaknesses and how, how they act. 
And he uses all these Old Testament illustrations to show the pattern of these false teachers. These false teachers are taking the grace of God and turning it into a live however you want without regard for the consequences. They think, well, we have the grace of God in Jesus Christ, so we can live however we want. If you believe in Jesus and your sins are forgiven, you can live however you want because you have God's grace. And that's contrary to the faith that's once for all delivered to the saints. It cheapens the grace of God and it downplays the necessity of being a slave of Christ, a living, a holy, sanctified life. Of not finding your pleasure and satisfaction in worldly things and sinful things, but rather in Jesus Christ. So we know the battle is at hand. We know what the enemy looks like. And now in verses 17 through 23, Jude turns his, uh, his perspective from the false teachers to his readers. So he's laid out what's happening out there. And now he's saying, okay, this is what you need to do. This is how you should act. This is how you interact with false teachers. This is how you should conduct yourself. It's a battle plan in the midst of this ongoing conflict. Just as much as you should know your enemy in the midst of warfare, it's also good to have a battle plan to have some sort of idea of what you're going to do. I love history. I love especially history surrounding different conflicts and wars that the United States has, has been in. I've been working my way slowly through a, a trilogy of books about the, uh, the conflict in Europe during World War II. And it's really interesting to read about the history of the battle plans, of what different countries wanted, the uh, the necessity of starting the campaign in North Africa and into Italy before a cross-channel invasion on D-Day into Normandy. Having plans laid out was important. And even thinking of D-Day, which uh, the anniversary, of course, on, on June 6th, was a massive undertaking and a massive uh, conglomeration of military resources and plans and commanders and so many moving parts, but the plan was so important about how to attack, about how to approach the enemy. They needed to have their ducks in a row so that they could hopefully succeed. Having a plan in the midst of battle is important. And in verse 17 through 23, Jude, as I mentioned, is now speaking to his region. He says, but this is how you should act. This is how you should live out your life in the face of these false teachers. As believers, we need to have a proper battle plan in the fight against false teaching and false teachers. Our big idea this morning is this, is that contending for the faith involves merciful resistance towards false teachers. Merciful resistance. And, and there's a lot packed in to those words, and we're going to look at that through two ways that we show this merciful resistance or we live it out. But it involves remaining faithful as God is faithful. Not that our salvation depends on us, but rather to discipline ourselves in our Christian lives to live out faithfully what we say we believe. And along with 
demonstrating faithfulness, showing mercy to those who doubt, showing mercy to those who may be caught up or under the sway of these false teachers, those caught in the confusion of lies and half-truths, and then not ourselves getting caught up in that confusion as we seek to rescue them. So let's look here at two ways we are to mercifully resist this false teaching and false teachers. First off, we are to remain faithful as God is faithful. So as we think of interacting with false teaching and false teachers, Jude's call is to remain faithful as God is faithful. To remain faithful as God is faithful. Verse 17, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude's call here is to remember. Anytime this idea of calling to remember is used, it's, it's what God has done in the past to think back. And I think this is important because often in times of difficulties and conflict, whether it's with false teachers or trials in our life, our view becomes very narrow. All of a sudden, our memory becomes faulty. It doesn't go back quite as far. We become short-sighted. Jude says, remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles. The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what is this prediction or these prophecy, these teachings? Verse 18, they said, the apostles, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. What Jude is doing is saying, remember the apostles and their teaching. They said that there will be a time when scoffers will come. A scoffer is somebody uh, who blasphemes. A scoffer uh, is someone who claims the moral commands of God are foolish and unimportant. They, they, in a sense, they mock. It's that idea. They're not necessary. Rather, they follow their own ungodly passions. They scoff at God. They mock his word, and his commands. But as we remain faithful, we need to remember what was spoken. That there will be a time when this is going to happen. That people will come and denounce the word of God. And we can read of other passages in the New Testament that describe the same thing, right? Paul, in the last days, people will be all these things, right? Lovers of money, disobedient, greedy, slanderous, malicious, you name it. This is what those who are set against God will be like. And I think it's interesting. He says, in the last time here, and this is a unique phrase in the New Testament, but it carries this idea of in the end of times. Now, we think the end of times or at the end as something still future, but actually in the mindset of the New Testament writers, these end of times or end of days is really <laughs> between Jesus' resurrection and ascension until he comes back. <laughs> right? The, the, this, is, this is, you know, really it until he comes back. And we know that this is the pattern of the sinful world around us and our sin nature is to live contrary to the commands of God and his word, to live as scoffers. So to remain faithful, we must be aware that this has been told. This is nothing new. Remember, this is going to 
happen. Right? It's going to happen. I remember once in high school, I was sent out on an errand by a man that I worked for. Uh, he owned a farm supply company, and so we were running fertilizer and feed and herbicide and to, to different places uh, out in the country. And uh, many of you are familiar, of course, with country roads, gravel roads, and there's those, those class B, you know, not maintained roads. And there was a field down one of these that you had to go down. And being in high school and driving this nice big pickup truck, I didn't want to crash it, <laughs> which is probably a good thing for a high school employee. And this man said to me, this is where you need to go. You know, he gave me directions and never used a street name or a road sign, but this house, this tree, this corner, right? That's how I got there. And he says, as you are going, you're going to turn down this road. It's going to be awful, but don't worry. It's only that way for a quarter mile and then it gets better. And so I set out and I find my way and I, I go past, you know, Old Man's Creek and, you know, past this home place and past, you know, the, the old timber and however you find your way there. And I turn onto this road and it is awful. Ruts and bumpy and it gets really narrow. And, and if I didn't know that it got better or that I shouldn't have been prepared for this, I would have been scared. I would have been like, am I going the right way? Did I take a wrong turn somewhere? But he told me, hey, you're going to have to go this way and you're going to have to travel this road, but don't worry, it's there and it'll get better. And so I white knuckled it and the whole, whole truck was shaking and didn't lose a wheel or anything like that. And I got through and I found the farmer out in his field and coming back was a lot more fun with an empty load than you can kind of, I won't tell you what I did, but you know, as a high schooler, you can imagine. But as I got there, I was like, oh no, if I didn't know that there was something on the other side or that I shouldn't have been prepared for this, my mindset would have been completely different. Jude is telling his readers that, hey, this has been prophesied. This has been foretold. Remember what the apostles have taught you. Remember what God has said. And knowing this helps you remain faithful. Because sometimes when things get rough, we just want to throw in the towel and say, well, no more, I give up. Maybe these guys are right. Oh, that sounds pretty good. And Judah's saying, no, this is what they will be like. And remember that they are coming. There will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. And he says, it is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Divisions. Divisions amongst the people of God. What undermines the message of the gospel and the work of the church today more than a division in a church. It's a terrible, terrible thing. And these people purposely cause division. They creep in, like Jude says in the beginning of his book. They creep in. They're worldly people, meaning they're not concerned with the things of God, but the, the, the sinful world around them. And they are devoid of the Spirit. They do not demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. They are not demonstrating Christ-like attributes in their activities. Divisions, worldliness is evidence that there is no Holy Spirit within them. But this is what these people are like. So don't be caught unawares and don't follow them, but know that they are coming. He says, but you, verse 20, beloved, here's that term again. He used it uh, in verse three. He'll use it again coming up here. That idea of beloved, those who are loved, 
loved by God. But you, beloved, this is what we are to do, to build yourselves up in your most holy faith. There's several different short uh, commands here. or They're used as commands. To build yourself up, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. This is the idea of growing, becoming mature, of adding on to, right? Of continuing to expand your knowledge and understanding of the most holy faith. Building yourselves. There's this attitude through all these things that we will look at that it's the responsibility or the discipline of the believer. Now, God obviously grows us through various means and his word and his spirit is what works in us to grow and to mature. But there's that aspect in which we partake with him in building up ourselves in the faith. Now we can say, Lord, make me more mature. Okay, that's a great prayer. But it's also important for us to take our Bibles and to read, to pray, to attend church, to sit under quality Bible teaching, to encourage others. You know, God isn't going to treat you like a robot where all of a sudden, okay, I'm not doing this, but God is doing this. No, it's this working out our salvation with fear and trembling as he who works in us is working. And here is that idea of this is your responsibility here, believers. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Read your Bible. Worship together. Listen to good teaching. Now, obviously, in the first century, as Jude is writing, these individuals did not have their own copy of God's word. It hadn't been collected and, and canonized and put together yet. They didn't have their smartphones where they could have 23 million different versions of the Bible. <laughs> But there were aspects in which they could participate in the community of the church in which they would build one, one another up, to build themselves up in their most holy faith. And it's a great call for us today. As we mature and grow in the faith, we become more and more aware of false teaching and watching out for it and having our eyes opened. They're to build them, themselves up and praying in the Holy Spirit, this is the idea of, of course, praying, but also being controlled by the Spirit. As the false teachers are devoid of the Spirit, those who are building themselves up in the faith, who are remaining faithful to God, will demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Demonstrate that they are in the Holy Spirit, that they have the Holy Spirit. Verse 21 Keeping yourselves in the love of God. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. Now, we might read this and we think, wait a minute. Does this mean that God saves me, but that I can then lose my salvation? Right? Is it up to me to keep myself in the love of God? Right? Jesus gets you there, then it's up to us to hang on. It's like the illustration of my daughter who loves to do the monkey bars. And I... Pick her up, and that's like Jesus saving me, putting me on the monkey bars. And then I let go for her to go across. And then Jesus takes a step back. All right, believer, you keep yourself hanging up there. That's not what Judah's saying. That's not what Judah's saying. He's saying keeping yourselves in the love of God. This idea of keeping oneself of God's love 
is repeated several times in the New Testament. But what he's speaking here is that he is contrasting the false teachers and their antinomianism or this idea that you can live however you want with those who are true followers of Christ. Rather than being swept up into false teachings that are contrary to the love of God, the believers are to keep or to remain in the love of God. This idea of keeping yourselves in the love of God is the idea of not abandoning your faith. Don't go following these false teachers. Be vigilant. Be aware. Build yourselves up. Pray in the Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Don't don't be caught or sidetracked by these false teachers. John 15, 9 through 10, we read this morning, right? Abide in me, and I in you, keeping yourselves. 1 John 4, 16 repeats that same idea as well. Both of these passages encourage their readers to remain, not to flee from the truth of God's love in Christ by living contrary to it or an abuse of it, but rather remain, keep, don't run away from, Be faithful. We understand that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you are truly redeemed, born again, nothing can separate you from God's love. So be vigilant. Stay in the arena of God's love. It's that idea. And we wait, verse 21, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. He goes from building yourselves up living by the Spirit, remaining in the love of God, not being persuaded or swept away, and wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And and he uses this in, in a future sense. Wait for the mercy of God. Now, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have already experienced the mercy, but here he uses it in a future sense. And the authors in the New Testament often do this, right? You will be saved. We look forward to the grace of God that will appear. It's this past, present, future aspect. And here he's focusing on the future. Wait, remain, be faithful. Why? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. Because this mercy that they're waiting for leads to eternal life. Though there are difficulties in their present situation... Judah saying, remain faithful because Jesus Christ is coming and he will deliver the final and full salvation in a grand worldwide cosmic sense. Everything will be made right. Remain faithful. Trust God because God is faithful. We have a hard time waiting and a hard time trusting. We don't believe that what God says sometimes is going to come to pass. The summer is a season of parades. We all love parades. Well, most of us do, I think. If you're a kid, you like parades, you get candy, right? And my kids have this tendency of sitting there on the side of the road, waiting for the parade to start, and they have their, their bags ready for the candy. And they often ask this question, is the parade going to start? Are you sure? Is it really going to happen? Are they coming? Is it it time yet? Is it really going to happen? Are you sure there's a parade? Yes, 
trust, wait, remain faithful. The parade is coming. And as believers, we can look at the conflict of the world around us and the the difficulties and the false teachers and think, is is this really going to come to pass when all these people are, are put in their place? Yes. Wait. Remain faithful. Because just as, as faithful as the Plainfield Days Parade is, that's going to happen, how much more faithful is our God? Who's going to do what he says he's going to do? Our God is faithful. And so as believers facing the lies of false teaching in the world around us, we are called to remain faithful. Keep ourselves in the love of God. Remember the end of the false teachers. Remember the hope that we have and remain faithful as God is faithful. This is a huge encouragement to us. But it's hard. Waiting is hard. It's not easy. There will be times when you say, God, are you going to do anything? God, I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And through some circumstances, God works. And we give thanks. But other things, we will wait until the final day when he returns. But as we take a step back, we will remember how fleeting and short our 60, 70, 80, 90 years were in light of eternity. Remain faithful as he is faithful. And the second aspect of mercifully resisting these false teachers and teaching is that we are to show mercy to those who doubt. So remain faithful as God is faithful. Do not be persuaded. Do not be caught off guard. Do not be caught up in the false teaching. Be alert. Be growing yourselves, but also show mercy to those who doubt. We've all heard the phrase, take no prisoners, right? Hopefully you have. It's that idea that you use, you don't show any mercy. We don't have time for prisoners. We're here to conquer and to destroy. No mercy. We often use that phrase in football, like we're going to take prisoners in football, like it's like, you know, oh, I'm sorry, you know. (laughs) But it's a phrase from military that we aren't going to take any prisoners, meaning we aren't going to show mercy, but we're going to execute judgment all the time. We don't have time for rescuing those who, who surrender, but rather we will show no mercy. But that is not the call of the believer in Jesus Christ for those who are caught in false teaching. The call for those who are in Jesus Christ is to show mercy. Verse 22, and have mercy on those who doubt. These people who doubt are not the false teachers, for we know their end. Judah's made that clear, that they are on their way to judgment. But these false teachers have caught up unsuspecting people, maybe immature or ignorant believers. They've been led astray. And so Jude calls his readers to have mercy on those who doubt. Doubt is not necessarily a sin. Of course, if doubt is, uh, is propped and say, oh, look how, look how welcoming you are because you do doubt. And that, that idea is in the world today, right? Well, I'm not quite sure, and we applaud that. But if someone is truly doubting and questioning and unsure, that's not necessarily a wrong thing. But those who are faithful 
are called to show mercy or have mercy on those who doubt. A present day application of this idea is the false teachers in our world. Those who promise health and wealth if you send in $20 or, or do this or do that. And, and people are looking for hope. People are looking for, for rescue and, and peace and all these things. And so they hear it and it sounds good. But yet they don't realize the falsehoods that are behind it. Now we as a church can say, oh, come on. You are so dumb in believing that. How dare you? That's not, that's not how God's word works. That's not the gospel. And we could have this condemning attitude. Or we see somebody who's caught up in this false teaching. And we show mercy. We show them grace. We say, that, that's not God's word. Let me show you the true hope of the gospel. Let me correct your thinking. You were caught up. Yeah, that, that guy is slick. He's got a big smile, really white teeth. Like, yeah, you believed him. <laughs> but let's look here at the word of God, what it says. We don't condemn them, but rather we show them mercy. And then he uses another illustration of saving others by snatching them out of the fire. Snatching them out of the fire is a, is a symbol of of the fire, of course, is judgment, the fires of eternal punishment. And this saving is the idea of pointing them to the truth. We can't save them, but to, to point them to the truth of Jesus Christ, of the gospel, so that they can rightly understand it and not be lost, but rather be saved. Save them from the fire. When we look at the world around us, we can often think, if you're not a believer, you're against God. And that's, that's the case. That is true. But yet, then we turn everybody into an enemy rather than into people who are lost in their sin, in their ignorance. And rather than thinking, well, they need to be condemned to hell to, to save them by showing them the, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, snatching them out of the fire, those who are caught up in lies and false teaching and false thinking, save them out of the fire. Then he finishes with the phrase, to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Here again is showing mercy with fear. This idea of fear is the idea of, of reverence or respect, not to them, but to God. Why? Because we hate even the garment stained by the flesh. It's this picture of cleanness versus uncleanness that as we seek to save them or snatch them or to show mercy to them, that we ourselves are not caught up in the process, right? That we ourselves don't get so engrossed into the false teaching that they're listening to that we ourselves might be tempted to be swayed. It's the idea of delivering them, of seeking to save them, but yet not being caught up in the same lies that they are. This idea of, of despising the garment stained by the flesh. One should not simply condemn these people, one author says, but to show mercy. That one is working on the edge of the fire, so to speak. Not only are those being rescued at risk, but the rescues are also endangering themselves. Sin is deceitful enough that those trying to help others could themselves get trapped. There is no reason not to show mercy, but every reason to have fear. He's saying 
be alert, be aware that as you show mercy, that you or yourselves are not caught up. It's the idea of having the right respect and fear, understanding our own sin nature. How we easily can be caught up by these things. Jude's readers must be careful as they rub shoulders with them who are caught in false teaching that they are not swept up by their lifestyle and the culture. We are to show mercy to those who doubt. We are to remain faithful and we are to show mercy. Remember who God is and what he's done and what he's promised. Remember what God has said. Build ourselves up. Keep ourselves in the faith and the love of God. And as we do that, show mercy to those who are caught in the lies. Those who are hoodwinked. Those who are ignorant of the truth. Jude's call to stand for the truth is important for us today. We must be wary of our own propensity to get caught up in sinful false teachings. We need to be vigilant to keep ourselves in the love of God. To remember the end of false teachers who live contrary to God and his word. We should demonstrate the spirit. We should look to Christ's return. We should wait for the ultimate vindication. And in the midst of our battle, we need to have mercy on those who doubt who are unsure, who are swept up in the cultural tide and false teachings. May we as a church show mercy, not condoning their lifestyle or partaking with them, but seeking to save them from the fire. My prayer is that as a church and as church members, we would be known as people who hold fast to the truth, but who are merciful people, who seek to have people understand the truth of God's word. To be willing to show mercy to any and all who would listen. Not that we condone their lifestyle or partake with them, but that we would seek to save them from the fire and bring them to a right understanding of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. May we be faithful. May we be merciful as we seek to contend for the faith with merciful resistance. Pray together. Father, we thank you for the pattern of this plan for us as believers in Jesus Christ to live out our faith. Lord, help us to remember your promises. Help us to remember your commands for us that we would live them out, not to keep our salvation, but as evidence of our salvation, that we're not swept away in false teaching, in living however we want without regard to you, your word. And may we show mercy to those who are caught up in lies. Not being caught up in the same wave of sin and false teaching, but seeking to rescue them from it. Lord, may we show mercy as we have received mercy in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. Help us now to live out these things in your son's name. Amen.